As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Well, it is good to see you. Welcome to all you joining online as well. Let, let me ask you a question. Are you with, I think, I think you're with me in this. Who hates to wait? Am I the only one? I mean, who hates to wait? That package, a UPS somewhere got lost in the shuffle somewhere, or uh, the one I can't stand is like traffic. Sitting in traffic, you know, the 30-minute the drive that turned into the two-hour bumper-to-bumper drive. I just, I can't handle it. Do you know what else I can't handle? I can't handle this. When I'm, when I'm texting you, and, and I'm like, you know, oh, okay, what's going on? Back and forth, back and forth. And then I get this. You know, and then I'm like, are you, and it just stays there. It just, you never hit send. Then I'm back up in the middle of the night, just checking, waiting. If you've gotten back to me, what were they saying? Can't handle it. I don't like the waiting. I don't like the waiting. I think you're with me that, that we are a people. If we're honest, we're just not good at waiting. We, we live in a society today where we are, we're just not very patient people. I can remember, I'm just old enough that I can remember the days when if I wanted to watch a movie, I had to go to my parents and get in the minivan. We had to drive down to Blockbuster. We, we had to see if it was on the shelf and we had to check it out, drive home. Then we had to sit there because the person before us didn't rewind the VHS. So then we had to wait a little longer. Remember those days? Then finally we could watch our movie. But today it's amazing. We got this little thing called Amazon, baby. We can get whatever we want, when we want it, a click of a button and it's at our front door, right? But here's the thing, as much as we're not good at waiting, is it possible? Is it possible that waiting is actually a great thing for us? Is it possible that God actually designed us in a way where waiting would be good for our soul? That it would change some things in us, it would draw some things out of us, and our ruthless desire to eliminate waiting from our society, we're missing out on some great things that God would have for us. Well, that's the question we're trying to answer today. We're continuing this series, Everyday Heroes, where we've been looking in the Old Testament at some famous characters that were heroes in their own right, but they were just everyday people like you and like me, but they had three things in common. They were available to God. They were willing to be used of God. And then ultimately they were empowered by God. And some of them went on to do great things in the name of God that changed people's lives. It certainly changed their lives and it changed the lives of people around them. So let's dive right in. If you have a Bible, grab one or open up your phone, open up the High Point app, turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament, about a quarter of the way through your Bible. Turn there because we're going to meet a character today named Hannah. Now, Hannah is about to give us a masterclass on waiting. How do we do this well? This thing that, that we're just not great at. And we're going to find that it, Hannah was empowered with patience to wait. That's the title of today's message. Here's what I want to share. I want to share four kind of caution flags. I want to wave some flags, wave some yellow caution flags when it comes to waiting. Some things that might get us stuck or might get us tripped up. So if you're a note taker, write this down. When waiting on God, be careful not to confuse delays with denials. 
Uh, be careful not to confuse that, that something in your life is just being delayed, that, it, that it's not ultimately going to be denied because we live in this instant results world. We already talked about that. And sometimes it's, it's easy to confuse. We, we think, well, it's just not going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Maybe it's just not going to happen in the timing that you and I thought because delays in God's paradigm, they're not problems. Delays are opportunities. And when I say be careful, what I'm really trying to say is that God's vantage point on our lives, it's different than ours. God has a way of, of seeing how we live and how he's designed us that, that is different than how you and I often look at the world because we get caught in, in kind of this tunnel vision kind of blinders that get put on a horse where we can only see this immediate thing in front of us. And God says, oh, uh, let's zoom out because I have some bigger things in plan for you. And before we dive into the text, we're in 1 Samuel. Uh, let me just give a little caveat here. That yes, there are times when God closes the door. There are times when, when that thing we were hoping for and praying for and believing God for, uh, that he does deny it. And he says, that's not for you. But today, what we're going to see in the life of Hannah is a very long delay that leads to a very amazing opportunity in her life. Let's dig into the text. First Samuel, we're starting in verse three, the story of Hannah. Now, this man, that's Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord. So this would have been common in their day. Elkanah uh, is going to bring his family and they're going to travel. It's about 15 miles. And so they would go multiple times a year where they would travel up to the tabernacle, to the temple, so that they could worship God, so that they could be in the presence of God. So they travel from their home. Why? To worship and bring sacrifices. Now, it's important to note as we dig into the story here that Israel was in a terrible place at this point in the nation of Israel. This is right after the period of the judges where it said that everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And so everybody was just living however they wanted to live, including, by the way, these two sons of Eli. Eli was a high priest. His two sons were priests. And they kind of just did whatever they wanted to do. They'd party on Saturday night, go to church on Sunday morning. Great priest, right? But that, that's how they were living their lives. And then verse four, it goes on to say this. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, when he brought these sacrifices, he would then bless his family. So he'd give portions uh, to Paniah, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Now, okay, let's pause here for a minute. Like, who are these people? Who are these ladies? Well, I hate to say it to you, but both Hannah and Paniah were both his wife, he had two wives, yikes. Why did he have two wives? Well, he was a man of God, but he didn't, he didn't always follow the ways of God. And Elkanah didn't always trust God. So what happened is he married Hannah first. They found out that Hannah couldn't have kids till the Lord had closed her womb. And in that day, I mean, continuing your family line and all, it was so important that Elkanah took matters into his own hands. He married a second woman. They had children so that they could continue the family line. And so here he is. He ends up with two wives. Verse six, and her rival, that's these two, two ladies, her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. 
So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. I mean, what a mess. Now, I told you, Hannah's going to be the hero of the story, but this isn't looking too good for her. I mean, she started out with this family that's all infighting and this other wife that was able to have kids. And Hannah is just, she's just writhing in pain over the fact that she couldn't have kids. Not only did she have to deal with that, but then she had to deal with the fact that the mother of her husband's kids, the other mother, that, that, that she couldn't have kids. And she was just taunting her all day long for years and years and years and years and years, just provoking her. She's just being a jerk. And it led Hannah to this deep place of, of despair. And don't miss, even in verse seven, when it says, look it, as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. So what's happening here? Even as Hannah's trying to go to church, she's like, can I just, just let me go worship God? Just let me get some time with my God. Even then she's being provoked. And isn't it interesting? I think that this actually happens to, to you and me. Do you know that you look crazy to the world? Do you know that church? You look crazy. That you, you, you claim to, to follow a God that you can't see with your eyes, who, who, is, who is moving and working in your life because he's transformed you and he's doing great and mighty things in your life and the world is looking at you going, what are you people doing walking into that church? What are you people doing over there? Well, we know we're worshiping the one true God who moves in our lives and we're calling out to him to meet us in the present of our lives. And that's exactly what Hannah's trying to do. But she's getting heckled and harassed for turning to God. She's doing exactly what she should do, as are you, church. And yeah, sometimes believing in God looks weird, but Hannah had deep faith. And so even as she went to the house of the Lord, don't miss, she went to the house of the Lord in her time of despair and trouble. And so she keeps getting taunted and heckled by this other wife. And you know, as we bring our delays, as you're waiting on the Lord today, I don't know if you are, but I would guess many in this room are waiting on the Lord for something or someone or something you've been praying for. Many of you online right now, you're in a time of waiting. You're in a time of asking God, I mean, when, when am I going to get out of this? Or when are we going to see the breakthrough? When is it going to come? And even in the delays, we, we bring all of our pain, all of our difficulty, just like Hannah did. We bring it to God. She went to the house of the Lord. And, you know, in this culture that we live in, it's this kind of like, want what you want, when you want it. I got to be honest, it sounds really good. It's really enticing, Right? Yeah, I kind of like, I'll take it now, you know? Like, but I'm here to say this. The want what you want, when you want it, and I get it, it sounds right, but it's nearsighted. And it's just this thing right in front of us that we think we want so deeply, but God is going, can you please, I have greater plans for you. Even in your pain, even in your difficulty, I have a greater vision for your life. It's like this, when I go on, on vacation, with my kids and we're just having fun or whatever. If you're a parent, maybe you've had this experience before. So we're, you know, we're out or we're traveling wherever we are. And I do this frequently with, with my kids where, where they, they just, they always want something, right? So you're like in some store and they're like, dad, I want, this keychain is the greatest keychain of my entire life. I have to have it. Please, will you buy it for me? My life will never be the same without it. 
or it's like $15.99 for a piece of junk, you know, that they like desperately have to have right now. So what do I do with my kids on a regular basis? I'll, I'll do this. I'll be like, hey, bud, um, okay, I'll buy that for you. Or if you wait tonight when we go out to dessert, you can order whatever ice cream you want at the ice cream. I mean, you can, you can buy the biggest Sunday you want. You can build whatever you want on the minute you can order. Just trying to build a little delayed gratification into my kids, right? But what happens every single time? Inevitably, I'll stay, take the stupid little keychain. Thanks, Dad. And 24 hours later, it's lost and they never talk about it again, right? But here's what I think we need in our lives. We need a little spiritual delayed gratification. We need a little spiritual delayed gratification saying that God is not necessarily just going to bring everything that I want. He will provide everything you need. But everything that I want in the moment when I want it, and that's what made God good. No. It's in the waiting that God is shaping us and changing us, that he's moving in us. So spoiler alert, before we get there, God's going to bless Hannah in a big way. God is going to eventually give Hannah that son, but it's the process in which she gets there. The timing of God and how she relies on God that's truly remarkable. Now, don't miss verse five and six. It says this, that the Lord closed her womb. Now, maybe you're sitting there, if you're reading that like me, you're like, okay, hold on. So did God cause this? Are you telling me all this pain, like the circumstances she's in that are producing this pain, did, did God cause that? Well, yeah, that's what the text says. That God put something in her life that would, that would force her to have a different perspective and a, a different view? Yeah, actually, God does do that from time to time. This wasn't a mistake. This wasn't a medical issue. God had a plan. And by the way, that plan is going to produce a son named Samuel, and Samuel is going to go on to change. Remember I said the nation of Israel was all messed up? Guess who's going to change the trajectory of the nation of Israel? Hannah's son. You know, the most frequently asked question that I get, I'm sure you get it all the time, right? Man, when somebody's going, man, I'm just waiting. This is hard and I don't have the patience to keep enduring this. You know what the question is? Why? Why? I mean, why, why, why am I going through this? Why, why is this happening to me? Why do I have to experience this? I mean, why, why can't it just be removed from me? If you're in that position today, can I just tell you, you are not alone. But can I also tell you, I think there's a better question we could be asking of God. The better question we could be asking of God is, God, what are you trying to do here? God, what are you trying to produce out of these circumstances? God, what are you trying to change within me? How are you trying to transform me and shape me in the midst of this temporary delay? God, what are you doing? See, church, here's the problem. I think we get so caught up and we get so concerned into praying, God, would you change my circumstances? And I think God is saying back to us, that's not my primary mission. My primary mission is I'm trying to change you. I'm trying to change who you are, and what your character is, and the type of person that I am creating you to be. And I get that the why is the natural question. But the, hey, God, God, would you speak to me? What are you trying to do in this time? Let me share a few helpful scenarios that, that, that might help us. That first is this. 
We just established it with Hannah that sometimes God actually causes the waiting. It's true. Why? Because he's trying to accomplish something bigger through you. In a time when God is causing this pause in this waiting, I'm here to tell you that, that God has bigger plans for you. That he put something in your life today that might seem like a roadblock, but it's actually positioning you for a great future that he has for you. But then the second thing is this, that God sometimes allows the waiting, meaning he didn't cause it. Maybe it was the circumstances of your life. Maybe it was just the fallen nature of the world we live in, but that God would sometimes allow the waiting. Why? Because he's trying to accomplish something bigger in you. That he has some plans for your heart and your mind and how you live your life that he's going to shape and mold and transform. And you're going to look like a different person on the other side of this than you look like today. Is it painful? Yeah. Is it hard? Yeah. Is it filled with uncertainty? For sure. But the person that God is molding you to be on the other side is such a greater person than the person walking into it. And the final thing is this, that, that God always uses the waiting. God always uses, uses the waiting because he's writing a bigger story. Hey, in our individualistic way of looking at this life, in our immediacy of how we look at the, do you know that God is using us, the church, the people of God to write a bigger story, uh, to bless our cities, to share the gospel, for people's lives to be changed. And do you know what his primary vehicle to do that is? You. And so God will always use the waiting because he's writing a bigger story of the kingdom of God. You know, as you, you wait, and I know it feels a little heavy even hearing this, and it's like, man, if you, see, if you knew the pain I was going, if you knew the, the delay that I'm in right now, let me just encourage you with maybe one of the greatest scriptures I'm waiting from Isaiah. It says this in Isaiah 40, 31, but, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. It's not when the waiting is over, you will get your strength renewed. Notice it didn't say that. For those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run, run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hey, Steve, I'm hearing you and I get it. I, I think I get it, but, but like, I'm not really into that. I mean, come on, isn't, isn't God like all powerful and all knowing and God can do anything? Like, why can't he just remove this circumstance from me? We well, could if he wanted to, but I love what Elizabeth Elliot says. She says it like this. Waiting on God requires the willingness to bear uncertainty. Willingness. To carry within oneself the unanswerable question, lifting the heart to God about it whenever it intrudes upon one's thoughts. What's she saying? She's saying this, this willingness to live and to bear with uncertainty. And to trust the things of God that are higher than our ways. And then do this, lifting the heart to God. And that's exactly what we're going to see Hannah do. Let's wave another caution flag. Uh, in your time of waiting, when waiting on God, be careful not to restrict prayer with pain. What do I mean? Be careful not to allow the pain that maybe the waiting is causing to, to become a, a lid, to become a governor, uh, to squelch out your ability to talk to God and call out to God and pray to God. We're going to see that, that Hannah is this remarkable woman of prayer. First Samuel, we're in chapter one. Let's go to verse nine. Now, Eli, the priest, 
was sitting on the seat behind the doorpost. Now, uh, remember, they're now at the temple. Eli's the priest. Hannah's going there. They're going there to worship God, which they would do on a semi-annual basis. So he's sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed, as you could imagine, not being able to have kids, walking through that, and then being taunted day in and day out. And what did she do? She prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow, and she said this, She said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me to not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. What is she saying? She's saying, God, if you would make this so, God, if it's in your will that you would give me a son, I will dedicate, this son will be given fully over to you for the totality of his life and this no razor shall touch his head. She's saying, you know, no harm will come to him because he is of the Lord, because he is serving you, that you will protect and provide for him. Now that's an everyday hero prayer right there. And so what we're gonna see is that never once, as we go through the life of Hannah, never once do we see Hannah being bitter and bringing complaints to other people in her life. Never. She doesn't wake up in the morning and, and go, go complain to her husband. She doesn't, you know, get in the car and call her girlfriend and just complain, 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 complain. What does she do? Instead, she prays, she seeks the Lord, she goes after God. She takes all this pain and all this difficulty and all this hurt in her life and she just goes to the house of the Lord. It's not that the pain isn't there, but it's where she points her pain that changes her circumstances. And notice there that prayer, give to your servant a son and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Notice that her motives are pure in the prayer. This isn't about her fulfilling something inside of her that she just, you know, wanted so bad and this would fill my emotional tank and this would, no, her motives are pure that she would give this son over to the Lord. Now this vow This vow she made, this was more than a Hail Mary prayer, okay? This wasn't one of those things where you're in a tough situation and you're like, God, if you get me out of this, I will do whatever you want me to do for the the rest of my life. I will move to the other side of the world and become a missionary, right? It's not a Hail Mary prayer. This type of vow was considered what would be called a Nazarite vow. It was first found in Numbers chapter six in the Bible. And it was actually, it was a commitment. It was a, I will do this. And what she's actually saying when she says, I will give him to the Lord, giving to the Lord means she would actually at the age of three that she would send, she would bring, and we'll see this in a moment, her son to the temple and he would be left there to be raised up as a child at the temple to become a priest and to follow after the ways of God. And so even in this prayer, she's saying, if you give me a child, I'll keep him for three years. And once he's weaned, I will send him over to the temple and he will be raised up in the Lord. It's an amazing, radical prayer. And I don't know, I'm, I'm speculating here, but I just wonder if, if Hannah had kind of an inkling that man, I think God wants to do something bigger here. I just wonder in all that time and prayer and meeting with the Lord, if she had a greater sense of uh, God wants to do something great with my, have you ever been there? I hope you've been there of that feeling of going, man, I just, I just believe that God has something more for me. I just believe that God is going to do something great through me. I don't know, but, but I just get the impression that maybe Hannah had that sense as she called out to the Lord and vowed a vow to raise up her son to serve the Lord. 
I love how Betsy Childs Howard, she wrote a great book called Seasons of Waiting. And here's what she says about waiting. We can allow our waiting to drive us from God or drive us to him. Our burdens exist to make us lean all of our weight on the Lord. When it comes to this topic of, of prayer and not letting your, your pain kind of squelch your prayer, I, I love how the missionary Joy Dawson said it. She said it like this. We experience the adventure of intercession. She's saying the adventure of prayer. Have you ever thought about your prayer life like that? The adventure of prayer to the degree we have learned to wait on God. Everything about our human nature rebels against waiting. To those of us who were born in overdrive, guilty, waiting is not our favorite pastime. She goes on to say this. However, we discover that waiting on God in humility and faith because of who he is, and obeying his signals according to his timetable are really where the exciting action is. You see, in the waiting, there's actually an adventure of doing life on God's timetable, not our own. Your perspective shifts. When you get on your knees and you get in prayer and you bring your pain to God and he changes the way that we see our life and the trajectory of our life. Hey, we're waving some caution flags. Let's wave another one. Hey, if you're in a time of waiting on God, what am I to do? What am I not to do? The third one is this, be careful not to reduce peace with problems. Do you know that the circumstances of your life do not need to wipe out the peace that you can experience, the peace that God brings? Let's get back to the story. Verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, the high priest, observed her mouth. Watch what happens here. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moved and her voice was not heard. So she's just kind of praying quietly to herself. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Such a compassionate priest, right? Okay, and then, she, and then it goes on to say, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. Don't get all cut up by my Lord. That would just be like saying, sir, no, sir, I'm a, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do you see the pattern? Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman for all along I've been speaking out of great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel will grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then look what happened. The woman, uh, uh, then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Do you know the theme that we keep seeing over and over again throughout this Everyday Hero series? God is using people that don't have position and power and authority. He's using people that, that, that are going through a difficult time, that are down and out on their luck. And he's saying, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you to be my person that I'm going to use to do great and mighty things. The people that were desperately in need of God and the people that were deeply devoted to God. He's saying, hey, hey, you, you, you accountant that feels like you're, you're just stuck in life and you're tired of walking into that cubicle every single day and you just feel like, man, my life is stalled out. I don't know why I chose accountants. I just, I just assume most of you people want a different career path than being an accountant. Is that just me? Or is that, that's just me. No, we love you. We need you. We need you. Do not quit your job. No, no. But he's saying, hey, 
If you're tired of that career, you're tired of that, you feel stalled out in life. Do you know how much bigger of a plan that I have for you? Hey, single mom, you, you, you. I know that you're, you're pulling your hair out and you're just trying to make things meet and to get it all to fix, fit together and you're so tired, but listen, listen, listen. I know it's chaotic right now. Do you know the purposes that I have for those kids? Do you know the purposes that I have for your life? That's what he's doing with Hannah. It is that he's saying, hey, I have a bigger thing for you around the corner. I know you can't see it today, but listen, church, can I just tell you, you are Hannah. You are Hannah. You are the one that, man, God wants to do great and remarkable things with your life. The only question is, will you allow him to do it? Will you allow him to use you to do some amazing things? And it's interesting, yet again, we've seen this in other stories in this series, that yet again, it's the religious leaders that are the ones that aren't compassionate, they're not caring, they're not modeling what a life of godliness looks like. So Hannah and all of her pain, all of her problems, what does she do? I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. You see the pattern? And we'll give Eli a little bit of pastoral credit, although he didn't start out too strong. I think he could have been like, um, you know, it's not in there. He could have been like, hey, oh, I'm sorry. Let me apologize for thinking you were just a drunk lady on the front of the church steps. You actually were praying to God. He could have apologized. But at least he says, go in peace in the God of Israel. He brings comfort. He brings care. God's going to grant your petition. I know you might be thinking today, hey, all, that all sounds great. I mean, I wish I could have that peace. I'm not feeling that today. You have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea the hardship that I'm in. You're telling me I can have peace? If that's you today, and you're looking for that peace. Can we just quickly, let's just look at the pattern of Hannah's life, just in the text, not even turning anywhere. Let's just look at the pattern in Hannah's life, a pathway to peace in the waiting. If this is you, look, look what she does. Hannah went to the house of the Lord. We saw that right away. What did she do? She pursued God. Her first inclination was to pursue God. Verse 10, Hannah was distressed. What did she do? She prayed to God. She talked to him. She called out to him. Then verse 11, Hannah vowed a vow to the Lord. She believed God in the midst of her pain. She made a commitment to God. Verse 11, Hannah promises, I will give him to the Lord. Now she's trusting God, even in the unknown and the uncertainty. Verse 12, this is a big one. Hannah continued praying. We see this multiple times. Oh, there she is again. Hannah's praying. Oh gosh, Hannah again. She's on her knees praying to God. And how can I find this peace? Are you pursuing God and talking to God? Are you believing God and trusting God? Hannah continued to pray before the Lord. She had persistence with God. Hey, she's not done. Verse 15, Hannah poured out her soul before God. Are you seeing the theme? She had some passion for God. And here we're going to see in the final verses, verse 19, Hannah rose early and worshiped the Lord. Yes, church. Do you know that in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your waiting, that you can praise God? And in fact, praising God, turning to God, pursuing God is where you actually find the peace. If I can just say, if you've been running around and searching for a bunch of places of where can I finally find some stability and peace in this time of waiting, you've searched here and you've searched here and you've searched here, I would just say, could you do a gut check this morning and go, have you, 
Have you searched here? Have you tried these things? Because I can promise that if we lived our life this way, that we would find peace. Simply said, let me put it like this. Peace is found in the presence of God. There's a direct correlation to how much peace you have in your life and how much time you spend in the presence of God. If I can just say quickly, I mean, we know a thing or two about waiting in this room. The last 18 months of your life? Anybody had some waiting in their life? I mean, going through a pandemic, wondering what's going to happen next, and I think it's going to be two weeks, and now oh, it's two months, and when can I leave my house, and where can I go, and what's happening with my job, and when are the kids going back to school, and man, we have to reschedule that wedding we had planned, and we had... Then just for kicks, let's throw in, like, who's the next president going to be, and what's going to happen with all the injustice happening in our country? We know a thing or two right now about waiting. My question for us today is, how well have we been waiting? How well are we doing, church? Because Hannah did pretty good. <laughs> How well are we doing when the anxieties of life, the pain of life, the difficulty, when, when we can't see around the corner, when we don't know what's coming next? What's our natural reaction? Is our natural reaction to kind of try to just buck the system and get out from underneath it? try to crawl out from under the pain and the waiting, or is our natural reaction to turn to the Lord and trust him in the waiting? It's kind of like this. It's kind of like, like NASCAR. I don't know who, who, who our racing fans are in here, but if you ever watched like a race, like a NASCAR race or an F1 race, they would have a yellow flag that they wave. The yellow flag's a caution flag, and here's what they're doing. They're saying, hey, take your foot off the gas for a minute. Want to know Why? Because there was a crash up ahead. You might not be able to see it, but there's, there's some debris on the track and, and some cars collided. So, hey, ease up a little bit. Yeah, there'll be another time. Trust me, NASCAR likes going fast. They're going to let them put, put the foot in the gas again, right? But they're saying, hey, slow down for a moment. Take it easy. Want to know why? Because if you take that next turn at the speed you're going at, and there's all that debris on the track, guess what? You're going to be the next one in the wall. And spiritually speaking, I think that's what God is saying to us in the waiting is ease off the gas pedal for a moment. I'm not saying forever. But there's some things around the corner that I don't know that you can see in your life right now and you need to trust me with them because I have the best for you. And and I'll be waving the green flag when it's ready to hit it again. But now is the time to slow down, to wait, and to ask less of the why and more of the what are you trying to do. Here's our final thought for today when you're waiting on God. If you're, if you're in a position of waiting on God right now, uh, be careful not to conflate position with purpose. This is so easy to do. This is so easy to do. What we do is we take our position in life, our circumstances in life, we, we take our disappointments in our life and we assume because of those things, God must not have something great in store for you. There must not be a greater purpose because look what I'm going through right now. Well, God's going to use this. God's going to use this mess that I'm in. I'm here to tell you today, yes. Yes, he's going to use that mess if we rely on him. Final end of the story in verse 19. Hannah does it again. Look where she goes. They rose early in the morning. What did she do? She worshiped before the Lord. If you're waiting, she's the one to follow. 
Then they went back to their house. So they traveled the 15 miles again. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Meaning they slept together. They conceived a child. The Lord remembered her. He had his favor on her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The name Samuel literally means asked from the Lord. It goes on to say in verse 25, that they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. So this period of three years had passed and what are they gonna do? She's gonna make good on that vow. Remember that vow that she gave to God? So they raised up the child for a few years and then they slaughtered a bull. What's that? That's a sign of sacrifice. They're gonna bring a sacrifice to the temple and they brought the child. So now we have a physical sacrifice and we have a spiritual sacrifice brought to the temple And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, I'm the woman who is standing here in your presence praying for the Lord. Hey, remember that lady you thought was drunk a few years ago who was actually praying to God? That's me. I'm back. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me that petition that I made to him. It goes on to say, therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah was faithful. Hannah followed through. How much easier would it have been for Hannah to just say, hey God, remember that vow I made? Um, I'll still raise him up in the Lord, but I'm just going to like keep him here and we'll keep him under the, my roof and we'll just kind of, no, no, no. She finally got a son. And then she sent him off to be raised up in the temple and to serve the Lord. Listen, the world that we live in asks the question, how does this impact me? What's this going to do to me? How's this going to change my life? Hannah asked the question, how does this, how does this, how do me and my family impact the world and the kingdom? Not how does this just directly impact me? Is it going to make my life better or worse? Hannah's asking the question, how can me and my family impact the nation of Israel? How can we impact the kingdom of God? If we're not careful, you and me, what we're doing in this waiting is we're grieving the loss of a game when we're only in the first period of a hockey game. We're like, it's over. I guess we lost. No, get back in the locker room. You got two more periods. You don't know the end yet. And too often we're saying, well, God must not be in it. It must be over. I better give up. God is producing some things in us because he wants to do some things through us. So church, as we close today, I believe this. I believe we need to create a deeper theology of waiting, so to speak. That we need to reshape how we're thinking about what God is doing in our life in real time. In a time where it just seems like, man, nothing's happening. Nothing's moving forward. To not fall into the trap that the world wants to feed us. That The sooner this is over, the better. Well, not true. Not if God's not done doing some things in and through you to falling into the trap that must, well, this, this must be punishment. No, not true. Maybe God is preparing you for a great purpose, just like he did for Hannah. We gotta be careful not to fall into the trap that, man, my life is just on hold until this is over. No, it's not. Maybe the greatest thing that God wants to do in your life will take place as you take your pain and you take your problem, you take your difficulty and you submit it to the greater purposes of God and then you watch him work. Max Licato said it like this. 
to wait, biblically speaking, is not to assume the worst, worry, make demands, take control, nor is waiting doing nothing. It's a sustained effort to stay focused on God through prayer and belief. To wait is to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. In a moment, I want to introduce you to a couple in our church that has been in a long season of waiting. And they've been waiting for years and years. And frankly, they're not quite sure if, it's, if God's delaying something or if God is maybe denying something. But here's what I do know about this couple is very early on, they stopped asking the question of God, why are we waiting and why are we in this? And they started asking the question of God, God, what are you doing? God, what do you want to change in me? God, what do you want to move inside of me? God, what are you preparing us for, for the future in this time of waiting? As you hear their story, I just want to invite you to just reflect on your own story. And maybe, maybe you're in a season of waiting right now, waiting for that son or daughter who's walked away from God to find God again. Maybe it's a job that you lost. Maybe it's a sickness that you're looking for healing from. Maybe, maybe it's a relational division that you're looking for God to bring reconciliation back to. But as you reflect on your waiting, why don't you watch their story and then we're going to have a time to respond together in worship and in prayer. Take a look. We did like genetic testing and all those things and they all came up normal. Um, so we don't have like a reason for what is happening. My name is Don and this is my wife, Nicole, and we're the Bloomers. Through friends of friends, um, I met Nicole about 15 years ago. We got engaged and had a marriage rather quickly. We had a three week engagement. Mm -hmm. That was an another point in time that we really had to like lean into our faith and and um, do it together. And grow, yeah. We wanted what everyone else wants, a family essentially. So we bought a home here and we decided to really just take that on as our marriage, that we live here, that this is our home and this is our space and let's make, make a life here. I always thought I would have three kids by 30. I don't know why I picked three. I guess I was hoping by like three, maybe get like two of one gender and one of the other. Nine months into trying, we still hadn't gotten pregnant. We had a couple friends who got pregnant who started after us. It's not like abnormal, but it's also not normal. We were trying different things that doctors around us tried to see if it would make a difference. And so we had to wait a certain period of time to see if that changed things, and then take tests again, and then wait again, try something different, take tests again, and wait again, and they all came up normal. Um, so we don't have like a reason for what is happening. Technically, our infertility is unexplained. This is definitely all on God. There's nothing more we can do. I mean, there's really, really tough times where we couldn't go to baby showers. We didn't want to go to holidays and see newborns and see family just because we felt so left out and alone in that. And you just feel totally isolated. Like you have a cookie cutter. But it, it was taken away. Like, that, that's the idea of what happiness is or what moving forward is, is like, this is the next piece in life. But just throw it away and then work around that. And other women talk about their kids. They talk about the pregnancies. Just being recently diagnosed, having those conversations isn't super fun because you're in, like, a crazy mental space. And then everyone's having these conversations, and you're like, yeah, we might never have kids. And that 
is, was a tough place to be in. There's a learning to like trust in God's will too for the situation. Yeah. Like there's kingdom perspective because like we want this, but at the same time, if it's not what God has planned, like and know what he has planned is better because that's who he is. The growth we've had in our faith and in our marriage and in our relationship, it's just been so significant that we wouldn't have gotten there without the trial. We've been able to like see the blessings in the waiting, I guess. I wouldn't have acknowledged that at the beginning and been like, there are no blessings, this is terrible. So many things even that like we wouldn't be able to do if we had kids or would look so different if we'd had kids. We wouldn't have all the friends that we have now because we probably wouldn't have let a young married screw the good things and the things that like ultimately that God, God has for you in the middle. That perspective was hard. That's taken years to shape that mindset and, and that culture in our marriage. We may never get the perfect outcome, but perfect is like so, so like human in a way. I don't wish any trials or waiting on anyone either. It's terrible in anything. But we're grateful. Like, in a way, we're grateful for it. I mean, we hope that our ending is what we would want, but we're kind of, we're grateful for the waiting. Yeah.